1: Is it the most wonderful time of year? Uh, I'm sure some parents across Iowa and elsewhere probably think so. First day of school today here in Iowa City. Um, Sixth grader, sophomore, senior. So uh, we're running out of time with these guys, but glad they are back in school, my children and your children. And... uh, Getting an education is an important thing, and we'll talk a little bit about that today because uh, the athletes that we focus on here on the HN, oh, excuse me, HF Mailbag Podcast, sometimes I forget who I'm working for on a given day. I'm Rob Howe, your host of the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. Um, recording this on Tuesday, August the 23rd, about 10, 20 a.m. Central Time, on a beautiful sunny day here in Iowa City. We are, what, 11 days out, something like that, from the first game of the season. Uh, Iowa-South Dakota State, September 3rd at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, That is an 11 a.m. kickoff, I believe, so early start that day. Uh, There'll be a City High, Iowa City High, Iowa City Liberty playing at Kinnick Stadium, first high school game there since 1972, I believe, So, uh, if you're in the area this weekend, Friday night, you can go to Kinnick stadium. I think you have to buy tickets in advance for that show, uh, (laughs) Uh, or buy them online, I guess. I don't think they sell like physical tickets. And we're getting to that point where physical tickets are, uh, going to be a thing of the past. I went to, uh, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, went to a Bonnie Raitt concert earlier this month and, uh, and that was on my phone and tickets are on my phone. I get uh, tickets from university of Iowa for parking uh, for football and men's basketball. And those come electronically. So put those in my Apple wallet on my iPhone. Um, so yeah, be aware of that. And I don't know what the new, what the rules are at Kinnick this year. I know they've gone cashless. Uh, for like concessions and things like that. So you want to check on that before you head out to the stadium. Uh, Tickets are sold out for the year. So um, if you already have your tickets, you should have the rundown of uh, what the protocols are over there at Kinnick Stadium. But uh, excuse me. Anyway, we're going to have Big Ten football this Saturday, uh, whatever day of the week or Day of the month that is, uh, August 24th, 25th, 27th, uh, will be, I think it's a 1130 noon kickoff central time for Northwestern and Nebraska over in Dublin. Uh, Interesting uh, to see how that goes over there and if uh, they decide to to do, uh, this is a regular thing with uh, Big Ten football. Uh, or other conferences. Um, eventually, I think there won't be, <laughs> be many conferences to sh- choose from. It, I, these, I think, these conferences. If I if if the Big Ten gets to twenty, you're just looking at basically like two. Um, what would that be? Like two seven team conferences and a six-team conferences conference within the Big Ten if you went to pods. Those pods would just be like s- separate conferences almost within the conference, but uh, I think we do have a, a conference question today from you guys that we'll uh, hop into. Wanted to let you guys know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, and Street Maintenance uh, and Plumbing. Uh, appreciate all of their support for this podcast. Uh, we may have some some new ones coming on here as the season gets rolling around. So really enjoy the support of our advertisers. They allow us to bring you these uh These podcasts and uh, content at hawkfanatic.com, free of charge, which is nice these days when you're talking about getting things for free. Not a lot of things free anymore, but these podcasts and content on hawkfanatic.com are free. Uh, Let's hop in here. Uh, We have one reaching back to August 19th, which was what? What was that? Uh, Friday-ish, somewhere in there. Um, Thursday or Friday of last week but uh, again folks if you want to uh, send us questions or comments during the week between the time we record the podcast and I will get to them if you don't make it into a pot you know the previous podcast I will get you on the next podcast it's hashtag HFmail. use that anytime and we will get to you as we've done here with DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six is there any chance that Padilla could take his COVID super season and still have two years to start after this year? Do you think he sticks around if he doesn't play this year? Uh, so we got two questions there. I do believe he can take his COVID year, um, so that would give him two years. And technically, um, uh, Spencer Peters could come back. He said he's done, this is it for him. This is his fifth season. Uh, and he's done, but he could come back for that sixth season. You kind of get that grandfather rule in there for guys that were, uh, you know, had that shortened 2020 season, uh, both, you know, just from a t- training standpoint to games. Uh, I think I don't know, played what, eight games, six and two that year. That's a coffee sip. Um So I have not talked to Alex about taking that. I will try to ask him that the next time we talk to him. Um, And it's hard for me to predict DC if he sticks around, if he doesn't play this year, he may be looking at it as, you know, when Spencer's gone, you know, this can be my job for two years. And if that's the case, perfect. Uh, But you don't know what's going to happen with Joey Labus, Carson Mays now in the program. Uh, Marco Linnaeus, if he signs in December, will be in the program. I don't know if that's him enrolling this coming January, uh, but he certainly will not be without competition moving forward. But he could certainly play this year too. Um, Talked about this before. I think we're going to need to see some positive uh, progress that was made this offseason with this offense. Uh, beginning week one against South Dakota State and then into week two against what will be a salty Iowa State defense and then week three uh, at Nevada. I almost look at that as one, and and I guess maybe you can throw Rutgers in there too, that first four-week block. It's four games. It's a third of your regular season. What does Iowa's offense look like coming out of that four-game block? Have we seen progress? Is it to the point now where it's – it's complementing defense and special teams instead of the defense and special teams having to carry it. Um, So I'm not under the impression that it's Peters' job, no matter what happens in the first one, two, three, four weeks, whatever it is heading into week five against Michigan. Um, But we'll have an idea of what this team is like at that point. And, what this offense looks like. Now you're dealing with injuries on the offensive line. You're dealing with injuries at wide receiver, um, youth inexperience. So it's hard to know what we're going to see. And you can't, if things are struggling, um, we'll have an idea if it's the quarterback's fault, but we'll also have an idea of how much it is his fault. And that's always opinion because people are going to, there's, there's, you know, varying degrees of how much do we blame the quarterback um, from depending on what your lens is and who you are and, and you know, how you're evaluating. And I, when I say you, it's a collective view of fans. Um, I think the leash though for Brian Ferentz and Spencer Petras for a lot of the fan base, and this is me just kind of, eva- you know, analyzing this from what I hear and what I see and what I read Um is if they come out and don't do well that first week, it's going to start right away. There's going to be calls for a change of quarterback. There's going to be, uh, you know, criticism of Brian Ferentz, and and that those those could be completely justified. Um, and we'll have to see uh, if you know if I, if Iowa struggles the first two weeks uh, offensively. Um, I think the the third week against Nevada and I think Nevada plays this week if folks want to see what that week 3 game is going to look like. Forget who Nevada plays this week. New Mexico State maybe. Um I think they're on Saturday night so chance to get a have a chance to watch them play uh if you'd like some point this weekend. Check your local listings for start times and network near you or streaming service. Uh but it's hard getting back to your specific questions, DC. Um I don't know. I haven't talked to Alex about the two years, if he wants to be here two more years after this. And I think it's going to be how this season unfolds will determine whether he sticks around after this season. I mean, if it's, you know, you, you can't fool the locker room. I like to say, so If Spencer's really struggling and Alex is playing well in practice and the people in that locker room, the the other guys in that locker room, think that there should be a quarterback change and there isn't, those are the types of things that push people out. And we haven't seen that since 2014 where I think the locker room was split with Beathard and Rudock, And eventually they got to the point after that season of, listen, we can get Beathard for two years or Rudolph for one. Which one do we want? And they went with Beathard um, and then had an undefeated season, regular season of 15. So right choice made. Um, we'll see what happens this year. Uh, we'll see how close that is. If in the locker room, you know, the guys on offense feel clearly that Spencer is the guy um, and he deserves to be out there, then I don't think you have a problem. And I think Alex would know that too. But there's a lot of gray area there. There's a lot of uh, opinion and evaluation that's, you know, selective. Some is subjective. Some is objective. But, you know, when things are going well, when you're winning football games, uh, it's much easier to deal with maybe an element of your team that's not playing up to snuff. But fair questions, DC, and good ones. And I will ask Alex next time I see him. Uh, if he's considering being back for two years. Somebody else may have asked, and it's been reported. I haven't seen that, but I'll, uh, I'll ask around and ask him as well. Uh, Clint Harms, uh, this one's from last night, at Until Game. As similar as Wisconsin and Iowa are every year, Wisconsin just seems to be a level better. Why do you think that is? Better line play, elite running backs, better all overall defense? in our head a little of all this in my opinion most years their running backs are special your thoughts yeah that's a good one clinton i've talked about this with other people in the uh, other media members at iowa just you know sometimes if we're having uh, a beverage or something and sitting around especially on road games we'll be like you know we'll analyze stuff and just share each other's opinions and um i think the running back uh factor in in what you lay out here is a big one. They do usually have a star running back. Um but Iowa's had some really good running backs through the years as well. Uh not not at the level. And I think that's where you're at. I think all of the things you mentioned are in play. And then I think schematically, I think what Wisconsin does just matches up well with what Iowa does. Iowa through the years has had a lot of difficulty figuring out the three, four defense because it's more than just, okay, there's three guys there on the, you know, on the line and then there's four guys behind them. You don't know where those guys are coming from. And Wisconsin does a really good job of being able to, um, disguise what it does and utilize those linebackers in various ways that cause Iowa fits. Um, and then conversely on the other side, I think the interior of Wisconsin's offensive line usually is really good and has had its way with Iowa's interior defensive line, linebackers. Iowa should be really strong there this year. Um, So hopefully if you're an Iowa fan, you know, somebody in Iowa, Braylon Allen, isn't running wild. Uh, But it's easier said than done. You kind of know what Wisconsin's going to do. You kind of know what Iowa's going to do. Wisconsin just executes better. And whether it's just that, you know, at the goal line, keeping Nate Stanley out of the end zone, um, you know, the fourth down plays last year, when it's time to win a game, when it's time to make the plays. And the one, well, I always won a couple. They won in 20 in the COVID year. But before that, I think it was 2015 up there, um, Nate Meyer made a play, you know, Wisconsin's going in. Uh, for probably what, have, what would have been the winning score, and there's a fumble. Um, so yeah, I mean, some of it's luck, but a lot of it's just execution and styles, matchup. You know, Wisconsin is really good at taking what the opponent gives it. I was usually pretty good at that. Um, but for some reason, I, uh, Wisconsin just, if it's a tug of war, that, that, that flag that's in the middle of the rope just kind of hovers around that middle line. But just in the, it's in the end, you just get that push from Wisconsin that pulls it to its side of of the line. So um, I I think you make good points. Uh, I I think some of it gets in the head. I don't, I don't um, think it's the head of the the players either. Um, I, I think it's more the head of the coaches I think sometimes they outthink each other or outthink themselves um, and make things more difficult than they need to be. Again, some of those fourth down calls last year were e, you know? So um, yeah, kind of my thought on that, but good question, Clint. It's going to be a super important game again this year. Uh, it usually is uh, a, a close game. Uh, we'll see if Iowa can come out. They get it at, they get November game, in Kinnick Stadium against, you know, one of its arch rivals. Hopefully Iowa can rise to the occasion, and we'll see kind of where everybody stands at that point in terms of the standings. Uh, It'll be an important game, though. Um, You can pretty much book it. Uh, RF at zero underscore dice from last night. Who has more receptions this season, Sam LaPorta or all of the wide receivers combined? (laughs) I think there's a little of this that's tongue-in-cheek. but the way the injuries have hit the wide receiver position, um, it's a fair question, certainly. Um, but I'm going to go with the receivers. For one of the big reasons I would do that zero is that, or one of the the main reasons I would do that is opponents are going to know this too. They're going to know. They're going to. I mean, there, there's there are times where the porter could see double coverage, um, plenty of times. So. Uh, that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, I'm trying to look here at the stats. I should have brought this up before I started recording, but Laporta had 53 last year. Goodson had 31. Those were your top two. Uh, Reganey, Bruce, Charlie Jones, Keegan Johnson, and Tyrone Tracy. I think that was it. Jackson Ritter had three catches and Max Cooper had one. Uh, But the receivers had, let's see, that's 51-72-90-105 to Sam Laporta's 53, and then Goodson had 31. So I'll say the receivers, um, and I know there's been injuries. I know Nico Nico Ganey's banged up now. I know Keegan Johnson back. I haven't heard on Brody Brecht. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be a challenge. To get this receiver room ready. And as we know, Charlie Jones is gone. Tyrone Tracy's gone. Uh Tyler Goodson's gone. Gavin Williams did have nine catches. Ivory Kelly Morton had seven. Jackson Ritter is out. Miaman had a catch, and he's also been tra- he's also transferred. So I will go with the receivers, but I think the gap between the receiver and the receivers and the port is probably a little thinner this year than it's been in the past, but going to need some receivers to make plays. You can't just throw to the tight ends. Um, you got to be able to stretch the field, uh, and stress the defense a little bit, you know, with, with the, you know, with the threat of throwing, uh, the ball down the field. Um, I think there are guys that can make plays down the field. Uh, I think you need to find ways to get the ball into your playmaker's hands. Uh, You know, whether that's doing some things with moving Laporta around, maybe some H-back, maybe some, you know, plenty of in-line, some wide. uh, Move him around, move Arlen Bruce around. Get some guys in there that can make some plays and keep the defense honest keep the defense on its toes a little bit instead of being very predictable. The coaches can help these guys. I I know there are injuries and and there's injuries. There are injuries and inexperience uh, on the offense, both on the line uh, and at skill positions, but there are ways to make things easier for these guys. And hopefully the coaches are working on that. We've heard they are, uh, but I've kind of taken a wait and see approach to this whole season. uh, And I'm going to continue Approaching it that way. Uh, I think that's a good approach. And um, I certainly have concerns about the offense, uh, but I don't want it to be something where I'm just like, this is definitely going to suck again. Um, I'm optimistic and hopefully with as much time as I was had here since the end of the season. And even in bowl prep, you're talking about eight months of being able to work through these things, watch film, come up with ways to be better and we get to see that September 3rd and beyond uh, and looking forward to it. Thank you for that question zero. And I think he's got another question uh, coming up here. Uh, Let's hit him now before I jump into these other ones. Uh, The Michigan game was named as the black and gold stripe section game. Is this an indication it will be a night game? No, it's not. Um, they have to pick one of these, they have to organize these uh, games prior to the season, you know, designate whatever game is for whatever uh, promotion, I guess, or, you know, whatever, whatever the uh, spirit, whatever the theme is, I guess they choose a theme, select a theme for a given game, whether it's the A&F game or military appreciation or stripe game. If you remember last year, the stripe game was Penn State, and that was a 305 kickoff. Uh, two maybe three years ago now, because there wasn't a Spirit Game in twenty. In two thousand nineteen, it was a six forty-five kickoff for Penn State for the Spirit Game. So the last two have been Penn State, and both of them uh, were at least three o'clock. So there's a chance of that. I've been kind of looking around. I haven't had a chance to look zero at uh, other the 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 big schedule across the country, but if you look at that Michigan-Iowa game that weekend, it's the marquee Big Ten game by a lot. I mean, even the the other games, there, there are some decent games, but Michigan-Iowa is by far, you know, rematch of the Big Ten championship game is by far the most attractive game on there. And I'm wondering and have wondered if it's the big noon kickoff, unless Fox finds something else. And I need to look at the schedule across the board on that week. But that's what we kind of have to get used to conditioning ourselves to now is where the marquee game used to be 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock on ABC. We'll still have games like that. But for Fox, having the number one pick, it puts its marquee game, the big noon kickoff, noon being Eastern time, 11 o'clock here. So central time, Iowa time, I mean. So you kind of have to, con- we're going to have to condition ourselves moving forward that some of the marquee games are going to be that midday game uh, on the Saturday on Fox, the big name kickoff. But there are so many other windows here that c- it could be that three o'clock game again, uh, two 30, Uh we've had, you know, four or five o'clock starts. Uh, it could be, you know, Fox could pick something else up and ABC could grab Michigan, Iowa, uh, for, um, is that, does that, does the new TV rights deal kick in this year? Or is that next year? I think it's next year. Um, so ABC is still involved. ESPN is still involved with the big 10 this year, I believe. Uh, but I could have that wrong. I am so bad at this guys. I apologize. I'm just not very, um, locked in on the media rights things. Um, I'm kind of more of, I've got a lot of T I've got a lot. I stream my, my TV. I've got a lot of channels and hopefully I have the one where I will football (laughs) even though I'm at the games most of the time, uh, so I can record them, but I really don't stress as much about this as some other folks. And I know, and, and I'm not knocking people that do, I know people, especially that aren't here. Um, you know, in Iowa City or or driving distance or people that come to the games that watch every week on TV no matter where they are in the country, um, you know, that's uh, that that I get. I get the interest level and and why it's important to you folks. But uh, to me, um, just working off Zero's question again, uh, I think this year is going to be pretty wild um, just because of the – certain TV rights expiring after this year uh, and moving to different platforms next year. Um, It'll be interesting to see what ESPN and ABC take from the Big Ten inventory this year, or if it starts to push its other uh, longer running partnerships a little bit harder. Uh, So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think that Iowa at Michigan game certainly has a chance to be a night game. Uh, Nevada week three is a night game. Uh, I think we just need to condition ourselves that the night window is not always the, the marquee window now and the window where uh, everybody wants to be. Uh, It's across the board now, depending on what network and where you are. So that's my thoughts on that. Thank you for those questions. Zero dice, Uh, Nick Capaldo at Nick Capaldo on Twitter if so, if Charlie Jones says about his transfer, what, what everyone, capital letters, what everyone assumed about it, the offense gives me more, more options, then is it really newsworthy for the Iowa media, or is it more bulletin board type propaganda for players to feed off? of I always, Nick, I always think that that, uh, I, and I'm not dismissing the bulletin board uh, factor element, Uh, you know, reasoning when when a team wins, everybody kind of finds their motivation in a different way. Um, I don't think uh, that Purdue Iowa game needs any more motivation. Um, I think there's some friction between the coaching staffs. Uh, Obviously Purdue has been a thorn in Iowa's side, even though Iowa has been the better team, uh, at least in terms of, you know, win totals and, division championships and what have you, but um, I think Charlie Jones, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, was his first interview, public interview since leaving, and he explained why he was leaving. And again, as Nick says, we kind of thought he was going because it was an offense that presented him with more opportunities at wide receiver, which is what he wanted, which he told us, At the end of spring practice is why he came back to Iowa. He went through the spring, still had questions about how much he was going to be used and how he was going to be used in Iowa's offense. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, childhood friend, the quarterback at Purdue, one of the uh, better quarterbacks in the league, said, hey, we could use you. And boom, he left. And yeah, it is newsworthy because it's the first time, Nick, that he's spoken publicly and confirmed what we thought. Um, I don't think it's something you continue to report on, but when he comes out and, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Acknowledges what we all speculated was the reason, then I think it is newsworthy. Um, It's not, it it isn't what Iowa fan wants to hear. It's not what the Iowa coaches want to hear. But it is what it is. Um, That's, you know, we've heard Tyrone Tracy. He was interviewed the same day and talked about playing running back in different ways. If you remember last year, Tyrone's complaint when he reached out on social media was you got a Swiss Army knife and you don't use it. Um, It sounds like Purdue's going to use him as a Swiss Army knife. Uh, Will it work? We don't know. I mean, Purdue's been pretty successful offensively. Chances are those guys are going to have some decent numbers and some some success offensively down there. Um, Will Purdue be better than Iowa? I don't know. We get them a week from Thursday, though, at home against Penn State. I think that's a night game on Thursday, a week from this Thursday. Uh, I believe that's September 1st. Uh, The night is September 1st, so we'll get a chance uh, to get a look at Purdue that night and Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy. I'm sure Iowa fans will be locked in to see how they look. Um, But – I'm not a big fan of the term. It is what it is. But in this case, I think it fits. You just kind of move on. What are you going to do? You know, you can't harp on it, but I do think uh, I do. I I have no problem with people reporting what Charlie said the other day, because it's the first time that he confirmed what we all speculated were the reasons why he left. Now, um, I think, and I think it's different when you see in the, I watched the video, you see what he, you know, him talking about it. Um, I don't think there's any ill will there between him and on for, for him. He still is close with his Iowa teammates, but uh, he made a business decision for himself. And, you know, with the Big Ten network or the Big Ten media rights being over a billion dollars a year, which Kirk Ferentz makes seven and a half million dollars a year. Phil Parker makes over a million. Brian Ferentz makes close to a million player wants to try to better himself no guarantees he will but i think he deserves that chance to uh move if he wants to move and that's uh that's how i feel about him i know my lens is different than others uh if you're a fan of a specific team you probably have some competitive ill will towards charlie jones um but I don't think you'll find that with his teammates. Now, guys like Riley Moss, Terry Roberts, Jamari Harris, Cooper DeGene, who, you know, uh, Kayvon Merriweather, uh, Quinn Schulte, Xavier Wankpa, Sebastian Castro, whoever's back there on that secondary are going to want a piece of those guys. And that makes sense. That, that's former teammates. They're competitors. That's why that game is going to be fun. Uh, Another coffee sip. Thank you, folks. Uh, Joaquin Taco at Senior M. Barbera on Twitter. Until USC-UCLA join, how excited can NBC-CBS be about having the second or third Big Ten game? And does that ramp up the pressure on teams not named Ohio State and Michigan to become more relevant on the national stage? Changing recruiting or game-style strategies to be more sexy. Yeah, I mean, we got this back when Urban Meyer joined the league, and he said, you know, the Big Ten's got to be better recruiting. It's got to be better national recruiters. It's got to raise the level of play. And yet he's the only one to win a national championship. Michigan made the playoffs last year. We've had other teams uh, from the Big Ten make the playoff. Uh, mostly Ohio State, but um, I think NBC and CBS know they're going to get ratings uh, even before USC and UCLA joined because that second and third Big Ten game is usually um, – and and they're sharing with uh, – next year, right? They share the SEC and the Big Ten, CBS, I mean, but – I think you just kind of see how things work out. And I think those entities, those platforms will help the big 10 in terms of, okay, let's make it. So there's like two to three marquee games each week for the big 10, you know, for the networks to, to feed on. Um, And I think that'll happen. And I think they're looking more long-term here and macro instead of the micro of right now. Um, I think, you know, they're thinking about, you know, not only USC USC, and UCLA, but beyond that, what other, you know, we're buying into, you know, the Big Ten expanding even more, um, which brings you more marquee games. I mean, if you add – I'm going to put Notre Dame out of this because I just – tired of talking about Notre Dame and its you know flirtations with the Big 10 but say it's Washington Stanford Cal and Oregon or Utah and Oregon or uh Colorado and Oregon or whatever um and you put a pot out there your most weekends you're going to have two to three to four you're, you're if you have a 20 team league most most weeks you're going to have multiple games that are pretty attractive right you're going to have one that's clear-cut the best game but you're going to have some that are you know based on market whether it be la or seattle or uh denver or san francisco in, in the case of cal and stanford um You can have marquee games, and I think there's going to be a lot in the inventory. Um, I think teams are always trying to recruit better uh, and and be as sexy and attractive as they can for recruits, Uh, but it's a matter of staying with their philosophy and being who you are. Uh, I don't think you're going to have Iowa opening things up uh, on offense being a spread team or Wisconsin doing that. Um, You never know. Uh, but I think teams win by being who they are. And I don't think that's going to change, but uh, you know, Penn state's a marquee, uh, a a marquee team. Um, You know, I think there's potential there with other schools, whether it be, you know, Minnesota or Nebraska or Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan state, even the East coast, Maryland, Rutgers, you just don't know. I mean, those teams are on the bottom now, but if they, you know, if they can raise the profile and raise the competitiveness of their programs in really talent-rich areas, then they become more attractive uh, for Saturday night games you know, or Saturday afternoon games. So, some thoughts there. Good question, uh, Joaquin. I appreciate it. Uh, Randy Ingle at under the kitchen on Twitter with our Mets in first place and doing well up until now, do you find yourself more dialed in this baseball season? I am let's go Mets. Um, uh, Appreciate the, the question Uh, as a Met fan. I think I said this last week on this podcast. If not, I've said it somewhere on some podcast (laughs) or radio station when asked about it. Um, I'm enjoying the ride. That's really where I'm at at this point as a Mets fan, uh, 55 years old, uh, still waiting since 1986 for another championship. Uh, And I just kind of, you know, sometimes I get myself too involved and wrapped up and invested. It's not that I'm not invested. I really enjoy it. Last night I watched the game was on uh, MLB network was pissed off that they blew Scherzer's start, uh, give, Domingo uh, Herman credit for slowing down uh, uh, um, the Mets lineup, holding it to two runs, and Scherzer I thought was decent, uh, but left left some stuff up in areas that were too easy to hit, and Aaron Judge did his damage, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking forward to it. I hope, I think it's, you know, I think there's been a separation even more you've got a group of teams and I would put, you know, Atlanta in there, obviously the Dodgers. I think the Padres are dangerous. I think the Cardinals are dangerous. The Brewers have some really good pitching. The Phillies have a really good lineup, especially when Harper gets back. I think the national league is just going to be super tough. The key for the Mets is winning that division Uh, and hopefully having it. I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers, uh, but if they can have the second best record in the national league, I think that's, Super important, but having fun with it. Haven't gotten to watch them as much as I'd like to, Randy. But uh, got it, got a chance last night and was flipping back and watching some of the Jets game, too. I just have a tough time watching preseason football. I watched a little bit of the Jets game, but uh, I can't. It's, preseason football is just kind of uh, a tough to watch for me. I'd rather watch uh, you know, August baseball than preseason football any day of the week, but I know there are a lot of people that disagree with me. Uh, C Scuppum at C Scuppum on Twitter. That's S C U P H A M Scuffum, C Scuffum or Scuppum. I'm not sure how he pronounces that, but his question is, what will John Budmeier's role be during the game and in the season? Uh, for those that don't, no, John Budmeyer, a former Wisconsin assistant, uh, was the offensive coordinator at Colorado State for a year before that staff got blown out. He is now a volunteer analyst with the Iowa program. And basically, he's a quarterback coach background, offensive background. He's basically helping Ryan, uh, Brian Ferentz with his transition into being the quarterback coach. Uh, and adding thoughts and, you know, helping to coach that position, uh, ha- helping to analyze things, uh, you know, chart- charting things, running analytics, what's works, what doesn't work. And that's really, I don't think game day wise, other than maybe, you know, it, you know, sharing some input here or there. I'm not sure how much involvement he can have, like from, a game day coaching because there are still limits on that, but I'm sure certainly he can share his analytics and opinions during game day uh, with folks. But I I think most of his work comes in film study um, quarter, you know, game installation of the game plan and just kind of what's working and what could be successful for the offense and specifically the quarterback position. I, I get a sense it's more, prep during the week than it is game day contributions. I could be wrong on that though. And we'll, I can ask around a little bit more uh, on that as well, but that's my understanding, at least to this point, from what I've heard uh, that it's, it's more of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, analysis during the week and contributions and coaching during the week more than game day. So good question. And I think, From the people I've spoken with, uh, he's been an important addition uh, during this transition for Brian, going from, you know, offensive coordinator, tight end coach to offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. Big difference there. And I think John Budmeyer is helping uh, with that transition. Uh, Drake Timbers will wrap it up for us at Drake Timbers on Twitter. Any upgrade updates on the escalator provisions in the new Big Ten TV deal? Um, the only thing that I had heard, Drake, is that I think there's like set language in there that if you can get Notre Dame, that's really going to help you <laughs> escalate this contract. And I think that's what the stations and, and uh, I think that's what the hope would be for the TV partners in this media rights deal. And that includes NBC, who is in, you know, who is basically the Notre Dame network, Notre Dame broadcasting uh, company. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if Notre Dame, if because uh, if you're NBC and you fold Notre Dame in, yeah, you're not going to get all the Notre Dame, Notre Dame games like you do now, but you're also not going to have to pay as much, and you're still going to get Notre Dame. Uh, and you could probably work it out so you get a lot of Notre Dame depending on what the deal would be. But as I said a few minutes ago, I'm done speculating on Notre Dame and hoping that Notre Dame joins the conference. I think it's a great fit. I think it'd be great for both parties. Uh, but I've been, you know, since I moved here in 97 and started covering Iowa football, I've heard, I, you know, throughout the years we hear this, the same thing. Everybody knows it's it, it, why it would work and why it should work, but it hasn't. So... I think at this point, uh, I think every, I think Notre Dame is the, the golden goose here, Drake. And if that's not, and that's not breaking any news, if, if the Big Ten can get its expansion to be Notre Dame, Stanford, Washington, and Oregon, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a super conference. Um, and if you know how this deal works out, Uh, The SEC's grant of rights rights is going through, I believe, 2033. And the Big Tens is up again in 2030. So the Big Ten can negotiate again, depending on what it expands to, in addition to whatever the escalators may be. So uh, the money is not going to go down for the Big Ten. And uh, those escalators are just, you know, it's... I think it's, a, it's it was smart on both parties, smart for the Big Ten to say, hey, this is what our inventory is now. But if we have more inventory, you have to pay more. And then the network saying, okay, we'll pay it especially. We'll, we'll kick in a lot more if you get Notre Dame. But if it's not Notre Dame, we'll still kick in more. It's just not going to be as much. So I think that's kind of where they are on that. Um, is Oregon speaking with Big Ten in Chicago Legit um for the coffee sip here. It's really plausible to me, Drake. I think Oregon, that Nike money, uh what it gets uh from support for its program, I think would be a really good fit. Um I don't know academically what type of fit it would be, um, but I think from a, I, I always look at these through the lens of football first, um, because that's what's most important. Basket, men's basketball is big, but it's just not in the stratosphere of what football is. Um, and I think the Big Ten, and it's kind of one of those things like when you hear coaches say, I have not had conversations with such and such a school or such and such a franchise. It's because the middlemen, middlewomen, Uh, are involved, whether it be agents or representatives or however it is, to try to, you know, um, muddy the trail, so to speak. So people can't, you know, it allows for the news to just pop that USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten. Boom. No real uh, lead up to it. Just, hey, here's the news. Texas and Oklahoma. Boom. Go to the SEC. Here's the news. These, I don't even know if they use search firms, but whoever's doing the bidding for each side, they do a good job of covering their tracks. Um, And I firmly believe that there's there's ongoing conversations between the Big Ten and various universities throughout the country uh, that it is eyeing to join and expand the league. Um, and it's going to take some time and they're going to work through it like they did with UCLA and USC and find the best option and work with the TV partners to say, hey, what do you guys like? What do you think helps our revenue here? What is most what is most attractive to you in terms of schools that we add? I think everybody's got a seat at this table and it's just a matter of, you know, finding the best fits and the best path moving forward. Um, that's kind of where I'm at at that, but a lot remains to be seen. And I don't think we'll hear a lot about it. I think it is kind of just going to happen. Um And we'll know when they do it. Um Who knows? Maybe some investigative journalists will be able to uncover the news before it happens. But we'll have to see. I think that's it, guys. I will check here one more time to make sure that there weren't any underneath. Um, that I may have missed. That one is not. I didn't miss anything there. Uh, Did I not answer this one? Nope, I missed one. I'm glad I looked. You used the hashtag too. I'm not sure why it didn't pop pop up, Andy. Uh, AP Hawkeye at Andy Paul Rules 1. Glad I didn't miss your question. Uh, Frequent contributor to the podcast, as many of you are. Um, I know it's hard to tell much from a couple of public practices, but how optimistic are you that the Iowa offense will make at least a reasonable jump in its overall efficiency? The key word there, Andy, is reasonable. What my reasonable might be may not be your reasonable. So again, there's some subjectivity here. Um, To me, the jump needs to be in relation to the other two phases. Um, and then you kind of raise the ceiling from there. Last year, even with that offense, Iowa was a 10-win regular season team. Had the offense been better, Iowa could have been undefeated. I think we could all say that. Uh, The Wisconsin game, got away from them a little bit later, but they were in that game. Um, Purdue, opportunities there. Kentucky, opportunities there, um, not blown out in any of those games. Positioned to win, but the offense wasn't good enough um, to win those games when the defense and special teams couldn't carry them. Um, and that's going to be similar this year. Can the offense be efficient and come through to complement this defense and special teams? Um they don't have to be Purdue or Ohio state on offense. They're not going to be Purdue or Ohio state on offense, but just good enough. Um, optimistic. I'm going to go back to what I've been saying, Andy. Um, what I said earlier in this podcast, I'm going to wait and see more. I really am. I, I came out of kids day more optimistic than I was going into kids day. thought I saw some good things from the offense. Um, but it's one practice, as you said, you know, and some of it's shell drills, some of it's situational work, third down work. Petrus didn't play a ton at kids day. So I don't know. Um, you know, I didn't get a, a much exposure there. Um, injuries have been a factor both at wide receiver and on the offensive line this spring and off season, those need to come through. Um, I think that the jump can be reasonable and what reasonable again, to me is good enough to complement the offensive special teams to the point where you win more games. Um, you don't cost your team games. Um, and I, I'm, I have optimism, but I'm mostly in wait and see mode, but I'm always optimistic going into seasons. I always think like, wow, this could be a really good team because I, you know, I look at the guys I know the team backward and forward. I'm thinking to myself, okay, these are good players and they're in position and some of them are experienced. Some of them aren't, but you know, I like how these guys play I watch them come up through recruiting and then watch them develop in the program. But we really just never know uh, until the team takes the field. Obviously there's a lot of optimism uh, and excitement in the fan base if every one of the seven home games sold out already. Um, which hasn't happened what since 2010 or 11. So I think the optimism is out there for you guys, Andy. Um, I have some, but more in wait and see mode. Uh, not being a dick, but talk is cheap. You can tell me how much more, you know, how the offense was simplified and, how the, you know, the route tree is adjusted and all those other things that are nice talking points when it comes to offensive football. But it's really about going out there and doing it. And uh, I'm not, I think South Dakota State will have a decent defense. Uh, one that's not just going to roll over and can cause Iowa problems for sure. But week two, I think Iowa State's defense is going to be pretty salty. Um, and I think that's really going to be a test for Iowa. Uh, that's a what, a three, three o'clock game? Is that in the afternoon? I can't remember. I thought it went 11 3 6 or 7 for Nevada, but I can't remember for sure. But all right, folks, I got to all your questions and comments. Appreciate you uh, sending them in, everybody who participated. Thank you, everybody who listened to the podcast. Uh, hopefully, you become regular listeners if you're not already um, through the uh, fall. Uh, through the rest of or through throughout the football season uh, we have new podcasts on this feed daily for the most part when I say daily I mean Monday through Friday. Uh, we're gonna have some weekend podcasts during the season so keep an keep an eye out ear out for that um, but we are uh, we are a steady podcasts here feed here at Hawk Fanatic, with podcasts on the regular, so they say so Check it in, check out the feed, subscribe, hit the like button, do all those things that they tell you to do. Other people, more professional podcasters tell you to do. Uh, We would appreciate it if you did it for us. And I want to thank our sponsors again, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, Systems Unlimited, and Street Maintenance and Plumbing. Uh, Thanks again for everybody for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you a week from today on the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. Peace.